Scripture reading for this morning is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. But even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You may be seated. Forgot to say this is the word of the Lord. (laughs) I felt this anticipation like, Mark, come on, it's one more thing. Uh, Well, we have reached the end of our study of Galatians, and uh, here at the end of the letter, Paul wants to drive home the point that he's been making throughout the letter, that the way of salvation that's offered through man-made religion is no way of salvation at all, that salvation is found in the cross of Jesus Christ and in the cross of Christ alone. So here at the end, you know... It's not uncommon for Paul to end his letter by writing something, you know, in his own hand. He, he always, um, you know, kind of verbally, uh, spoke his letters. They were, they were, he dictated his letters, that's what I'm trying to say, and somebody would write them down. But it was not uncommon at the end for him to write a greeting or uh, to, to maybe sign off with the final blessing, like you see in verse 18. But this section at the end of Galatians, 11 through 18, is the only place uh, of his letters where he takes this big chunk and just finishes it off himself. And he writes with large letters. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you. And some have said he wrote in large letters because he had faced a lot of persecution. And so he was recovering from some, uh, some injury, perhaps, from his persecution. Others have said, well, you know, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and his thorn in the flesh must have been bad eyesight, and so he's writing with large letters. Maybe. I I think the explanation that probably makes the most sense is he's just trying to drive home his point. Like, if he had been typing, this would have been all caps, all bold, underlined. I mean, he would have been doing that in order to drive home the point that he was wanting to make as he closed out his letter. And, and so, therefore, we need to make sure that we get the point, that we don't miss what he's saying to us. If the church in Galatia was prone to succumbing to false teaching that is, that is so deceptive, if you can just add a little bit of that effort that you want to be able to contribute anyway to your salvation, then you'll be saved. Because simply coming to Christ with your need and nothing else Who wants that? There's a risk here for the church in Galatia, and there's a risk here for the church in any age, including this church, that we will believe that we must add something to the cross in order to be saved. And may it be that we never, ever, ever forget the central message of the cross, that the only way of salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. This is the point that Paul wants to drive home in the end of his letter, 
It's the point that I pray we'll walk out of here having taken to heart after all these weeks of studying Galatians. And we're going to summarize it in two points. First thing we need to see is the problem with man-made religion. And the second thing we need to see is the power of the cross. The problem with man-made religion. And then secondly, the power of the cross. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we do ask that you would open up our eyes. Lord, help us to see and remember, Lord, our great need. Lord, for some of us here this morning, it may be seeing for the very first time our powerlessness, the fact that we can do nothing to affect our own salvation, that we are, if we are apart from you, without hope in this world. And for those of us who by your grace and your grace alone have looked to you in faith for our salvation, help us to remember, lest we ever be tempted to turn away into our own efforts, boasting in our own flesh, our own works, rather than relying on, resting in, and glorying in your cross, Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray, to never stray from that. And we ask it that your name might be glorified, Lord. Amen. All right, so the problem with man-made religion, there's at least four things that Paul's been driving home throughout the letter that he kind of summarizes here at the end concerning man-made religion. The first is this, that man-made religion is external. It's external. The focus in Galatians was the external rite of circumcision. It was an external religious rite. Did nothing to affect them internally. You remember these false teachers, these Judaizers. They were people who professed to be Jewish Christians. Now, the gospel that they were proclaiming, Paul said very clearly, is no gospel at all. So the fact that they thought of themselves as Christians, the fact that they proclaimed a message that was not the gospel means that they were, in fact, not Christians. But they professed to be Jewish Christians, And they came in after Paul had preached the gospel in Galatia and then had left and gone on. They came in to kind of do what they would consider maybe some follow-up evangelism, correct a little bit of the false teaching that that this Paul, who didn't really come with the authority of Jerusalem, who who clearly was a nobody from nowhere, even though coming from Jerusalem is all that when it came to uh, Phariseeism, when it came to the, 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 the Gentiles in Galatia, how could they possibly trust Paul, right? They came in to kind of correct what Paul was saying. They were really coming in because they felt like they just need to, they just need to be Jewish. They can be Christian, but, but if they'll just be Jewish Christians like we are, then, then that'll be a good thing. So they came in preaching this message of circumcision, Be circumcised, perform this external rite, and with it, adopt all of what it means to be Jewish, and you will be saved. It was an external rite. Now, Paul, again, throughout Galatians, both here in this passage that we're looking at this morning, when he says in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, also back up in chapter 5, verse 6, When he said, therefore, in Christ Jesus, neither uncircumcision nor circumcision counts for anything. It's of of no consequence. Circumcision itself wasn't the problem. The problem was what they were looking to circumcision to accomplish in their lives, which was an external right by which they would be made right, R-I-T, right, R-I-G-T-H, right, with God. In other words, for the Judaizers, it was Christ plus. Christ was good, faith in Christ was important, but it was Christ plus 
circumcision. They had made circumcision essential for salvation. That's what they said in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So the question we need to ask is when and where are we Christ plus? Is it our religious performance, our, our external show of religiosity, the fact that we're here every Sunday, or we go to discipleship hour, or we give probably you know, beyond our means. What, what is it that we would point to and say, there's my Christ plus, because I do these things in addition to my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm therefore saved. Surely my standing with God is secure because of what I do and because of what Christ did. But the focus is more on what I do. Where do we take that Christ plus attitude and carry it over into our expectations of other people? You're less than, maybe you're not even a Christian because I don't see you doing the kinds of things that I do, that I believe that all really serious, mature Christians do, right? Any number of ways in which we can be Christ plus in our thinking. And in so doing, jettison the very gospel that is Christ plus nothing. All the things that we would look to, baptism, religious attendance, um, you know, reading a Bible every day of the week, right? All these things are externals. In and of themselves, simply coming to church, simply opening the Bible, simply doing these other things in and of themselves, they affect no change. They remain on the outside unless the Spirit of God is working within. So, man-made religion, external. Secondly, man-made religion is based on works. Now, there is something that was a universal falsehood behind the particulars of the Judaizers' demand that the people be circumcised in order to be right with God. That was the particular example in Galatians. The universal falsehood that lies behind that practice was that there's no salvation without human effort. That's the falsehood that lies behind every religion, every man-made religion. Behind it lies the fundamental falsehood that you must do in order to be saved. The the contrast between every religion of the world and Christianity boils down to this. In the case of every other religion of the world, it is obey. Obey the gods, obey the code, obey your heart, and you'll be accepted. And Christianity says, in Christ you are accepted. Therefore, obey. Obey. The universal lie, not only behind what the Judaizers were teaching, but every man-made religion is that it depends on human effort and not on what God has done. So man-made religion is external, it's based on works, it boasts in the flesh. Look back to the text with me at verse 12 and verse 13. In verse 12, Paul writes, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross. And then in verse 13, but even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That phrase back in verse 12, uh, to make a good showing, that the idea behind that word is fudging the truth in order to make a good impression. 
That's, that's the idea there. They, 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 they considered themselves Jewish Christians. Again, they were, they were coming from Jerusalem. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem and say, look at all these Jews that we've made. They were tempted in the same way a missionary might be tempted, to come back from you know, the, the mission field boasting of all the converts they had made or, or, or all the people who were so close to professing faith in Christ and tempted, therefore, to, to overstate the facts. Well, that's what was going on with these Judaizers. They wanted to be able to go back to Jerusalem and say, look at all these Converts to Judaism that we've made from among these Gentiles who have converted to Christianity. They wanted to be able to make a good showing, and so they kind of fudged the facts a little bit. They also wanted to avoid persecution because those same Jews to whom they were returning also despised the fact that there were people who were dining with Gentiles in Galatia. It's the same problem that uh, Paul addressed in Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, when, when Peter came and was shrinking back from eating with Gentiles, he did that because he was afraid of what uh, false teachers were saying. He was, afraid of the, he was afraid of the condemnation of the Jews because the Jews despised the fact that there would be any kind of relationship between themselves and Gentiles. No table fellowship, no relationship, no connection. And so the Judaizers going back to Jerusalem didn't want to be able to give any impression that they were perhaps as zealous as those Christians in Galatia. So on the one hand, they wanted to make a good impression. Look Look at all we've done to convert people to Judaism. But even though we claim to be Jewish Christians, we're not as extreme as they are. And we're not all about the cross like they are. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is what are we doing to avoid persecution for the cross? Now, none of us in this country are facing the kind of persecution that's faced in so many places around the world. The very people that Christine is, along with her team, sharing the gospel with at RIT, if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and we pray that they will, will be going back to a country, their homeland, where they will be killed if their faith is found out. Some of them, not maybe, but will be. We don't face that kind of uh, struggle here in America. We're not dealing with that kind of uh, oppression because of our faith. But we do face some level of Call it marginalization, not persecution. Ostracization, because we boast in the cross? Because we actually look to the cross of Jesus Christ as something that is what we rely on, what, what God accomplished for us there is the thing that's most, uh, that we treasure more than anything else? That's a temptation that we have as well, to to kind of shrink back from the cross, to, to boast in human works, to boast in our own works, our own religious performance, not ultimately to rest in, rely in, boast in, find our confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ. Man-made religion is external, it's based on works, it boasts in the flesh, and it is powerless to save. It's powerless to save. Even the Judaizers failed to keep the law. Look at verse 13 with me again. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Paul said earlier in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Why? Because all the law does is address the external. It can't do anything to change us internally. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God said to Moses and Moses to the people, circumcise your hearts. Circumcision of the flesh was given back in Genesis chapter 17 to Abraham and as a sign to Abraham and his offspring. But it was the heart that needed to be circumcised. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 30, before God's people went into the promised land, God said again through Moses, I will circumcise your hearts. As Jeremiah 17, 9 said, the human heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Unless God works on our heart, there will be no change. All the external things that we do are meaningless for impacting and affecting change within us. Man-made religion. It's external. It's based on works of the flesh. It boasts in its accomplishments. And it is powerless to save. Paul said in Galatians 1.11, that gospel, that man-made religion gospel, was no gospel at all. At the center of the true gospel stands the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we turn, secondly, to the power of the cross. Take a look at verse 14. Paul says there, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's one cross here, but there are three crucifixions. Do you see them? The first crucifixion is the crucifixion of Christ. Verse 14, But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in chapter uh, 1, verse 4, 1, 1, 3, and 4, we read this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Christ gave himself for our sins. That's the cross. That's his crucifixion, where he accomplished our salvation. But then Paul speaks also in verse 14 of the crucifixion of the world. Right? You saw it. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. What an image that is all the, all the power that the world, the flesh, and the devil would seem to have over you. All the, all, the, all the allure of the world and its systems that are opposed to God. All of that is rendered powerless to the Christian through the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you, can you think of all the temptations that you face in this world? All the things that the world would have you pursue Promising life, promising everything to you. And it feels so powerful, like you can't possibly say no. And what Paul is saying here is that through the cross, the world is crucified to you. It's dead. Not not just are you dead to it, but it's dead to you because of the cross. But then he does go on to speak of a third crucifixion, and that's it's my crucifixion. It's your crucifixion. When he says in verse 14, 
But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul, back in Galatians 2.20, said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucifixion is what Christianity is all about. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ and my crucifixion in him through my union with him. That's what makes Christianity so unattractive to the world. Christianity says we're sinners under the righteous wrath of God and we can't do anything to save ourselves. John Stott in his commentary on Galatians wrote this, Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. No one looks at the cross and says, what a lovely teaching for me to follow. No one. If you really understand the cross, it's either absolutely repugnant and offensive or it's the sweetest news you've ever heard. There's no middle ground. Paul says the very same thing in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, when he says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Same aroma, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of life, a fragrance from death to death, sorry, from, to one, those who are perishing, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. But God's design does not end with crucifixion. It moves through death, it moves through crucifixion, and through resurrection to new creation. That's where Paul leaves us here at the end of the passage. Verse 15 for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's a glorious vision that Paul's leaving us with here at the end. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This idea of new creation, it begins now. This idea of eternal life, it begins now. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the new has come. There's so much more that's yet to come. But eternal life has begun now. New creation has begun now. Jesus says this very same thing in Revelation 3.14. In Revelation 3.14, the, the, the risen Christ says of himself, I am the beginning of God's creation. What does that mean? He's, he's not referring to the creation of the world there. He's saying there the same thing that Paul said in Colossians 1.18 when Paul said that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. When Jesus says, I am the beginning of God's creation, he's referring to his resurrection and what that signaled for the world to come what his resurrection signals to every follower of Christ. In him, all things are being made new.
Because of the cross, the recreation of the world has begun. By the power of the cross, Paul told us in Galatians 1.14, we're rescued from this present evil age. By the power of the cross, Paul told us in Galatians 3, 1 to 5, the Spirit is powerfully at work within us. By the power of the cross, Paul told us in Galatians 3, 10 to 14, the blessing of Abraham has been made available to us. By the power of the cross, Paul told us in Galatians 4, 1 to 7, we're adopted into the very family of God. By the power of the cross, Paul told us in the heart of the letter from Galatians 4, 21 through the end of chapter 5, we are set free to bear the fruit of the Spirit of God, all because of the powerful work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's no wonder then that Paul boasts in the cross. That's where he finds his rest, his security. That's where he puts his hope, where he finds his truest meaning, his ultimate purpose, his glory. It's in the cross. And because of his devotion to the cross of Jesus Christ, he bore the marks. We'll end just by looking at this real quick. Verse 17, Paul writes, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks you bear correlate with the boasts that you make. You will bear the marks of whatever it is that you boast in. Paul boasted in the cross. He testified day in and day out at great personal cost to the truth of the gospel concerning the one who was Lord over his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he writes of the time that he, the many times in which he was beaten and at times left for dead. He bore the marks of the cross as he boasted in the cross. We're all boasting in something. We're all looking to something for ultimate meaning, ultimate life, We're relying on something above other things. We're glorying in something as if that is what identifies us and makes us who we are, meaningful in this life. We're all boasting in something. You will bear the marks of whatever it is you're boasting in. If you're boasting in the approval and the acceptance of other people, if you're boasting in In anything in this world apart from Jesus Christ, you will bear the marks of of disappointment and frustration and, and shame and guilt and sorrow and despair and meaninglessness. You will bear those marks. Those marks may be physical, they may be emotional, they may be relational, they may be spiritual, but they're there. And some of you are here and you could show me those marks or you could tell me about them. You will bear the marks of whatever it is in which you boast. You will bear the marks if you boast in Christ as well. Again, in our culture, in our country, not probably physical marks. But there will be marks. And even if you never face any kind of you know, oppression or, or marginalization or any of the like, we could still look, couldn't we? Or you could look at your, your bank record or how you spend your day, your, your calendar, and you could ask, are the marks of Jesus evident there? 
Are the marks the indicators of his ownership over my life? Are they seen there? You will bear the marks of whatever it is that you boast in. The difference between the marks of any other boast than Christ and the marks of Christ themselves is that Christ is the one who can redeem those other marks. It's a glorious truth. We all come in here with with marks of some kind. We're all wounded. We're all broken. Many of those wounds are self-inflicted. Some are inflicted on us by others. And the marks of Jesus Christ, suffered by him at his cross, bring redemption to us in all of our pain, in all of our suffering, in a way that no man-made religion ever could. Even on your best day, even on your strongest day, even when you feel like you could conquer the world, there's nothing that you could do to conquer the sin that dwells within you. But none of us have those kinds of days. If, they, if we do, they're fleeting. Then we realize we're out of touch with reality. <laughs> because we come back and we remember just how broken and flawed we are. In the midst of your brokenness, bearing the wounds that you're bearing, look to the wounds of Jesus Christ and find the healing that is offered through him and him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to look to your son, Jesus Christ, and his wounds. We're coming up on the, we're coming up on Good Friday. We're looking to the time here very soon when the wounds that were borne by our Savior on the cross are, in fact, the wounds that bring us healing. We are eagerly anticipating Easter morning and the celebration of your resurrection, Lord Jesus. As we look toward that day that is coming, we ask that you would even now be inclining our hearts towards you. Lord, help us come to you in the midst of all of our woundedness and all of our folly, all of the ways in which we have been running from you. Lord, would you call us to yourself, that we might find in you at the foot of your cross the blessing, the peace, the mercy that is offered to all who settle there. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.